I did it the way I wanted to do it. As long as I wanted to do it. It's your thing. Do what you want to do. So understand that, that this idea of how we should perceive ourselves in light of God can be diluted in ways that we don't even recognize. Because the song has a great jingle, but it is not my thing when I come to Jesus. It's his thing. Pastor Martin is inside of his sermon series, The Necessity of a Biblical Worldview. Today's message is part two, Affirming a Biblical Worldview. Follow along in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 through 20, as Pastor Martin explains. I want to begin today, I'm going to ask a couple questions as a part of our lesson, but I want to ask you a question that I hope will cause you to understand context for the message today. In recent weeks, have you seen, read, uh, or heard of a headline that in the news that, that spoke to a subject that caused you to make a determination of whether whatever it was was right or wrong. Whether it be something that's been a hot topic in the, in the political debates or whether it was something you read or saw that someone is putting forth, whether it was a, an occurrence that happened either in a school or in a neighborhood, whatever that is, has there been a moment in which you looked at something and you made a judgment as to whether or not what it was was either right or wrong? The reality that we face is that when we find something that deals with either morality or values or how uh, something is deemed to be whether either right or wrong, that is actually going to be informed by our worldview. Depending on how you understand the world and the context of the world, you're going to respond in a certain way. And it's going to affect your response in such a way that no matter how you try to not be biased, you're going to still find yourself falling in one place or another. The need for us today in having a biblical worldview is because in many cases, the things that we find are in the news today. Many of those things, God has something to say about them. And he's already proclaimed them through his word. Now, there are matters that you may find in recent history that are not necessarily specifically defined, but in those cases, then it becomes a, what you, a, a composite understanding of scripture if it doesn't explicitly state it in scripture. How would we understand this in the context still of scripture? So the important part of our journey this, during this series is just understanding that no matter how we uh, have evolved and grown and developed, that our understanding is a continual process. And that because the subject matters are changing on a daily basis, seemingly, that we must have this sense of a need to continue our growth and understanding of what God has to say in this season, in this time. Because what, what, what Paul says here, he says, he says, those who would consider themselves now, right now, in this age, let them understand that in order to really be wise, you must go to the source of all wisdom. 
because all wisdom and all knowledge comes from the one who set it all in motion. See, the one who knows the beginning and the end is the one that can speak into your present with clarity. See, I can only know what I'm going through right now, so I respond emotionally and mentally based upon what's happening right now. I can only look back and see where I've been, and I try to draw upon that and learn something from it, but it's still, I don't know what my future holds, so I have to look back. I look now, and then I conclude how I feel, but God knows the beginning and the end all at once, so when he informs you, he's helping you to understand everything that you've been through, everything you're going through, and the things you will face. So the key is, is that uh, developing a biblical worldview is an ever advancing or developing process. It's ever advancing. You're continuing to develop this sense because the more that Christian values and Christian understanding begins to shape us, the more we become those whom, as we stated earlier, we become more of those who are the church as Christ intended it to be. But here's the key. This process of evolving or continuing to develop your biblical worldview, it has to be engaged intentionally and continually. You can't grab a few things, grab a few scriptures and say, okay, I got all I need to know because guess what's happening right now? The headlines are shaping society. And yet God is the one, as we talked about last week, that God made man to be theocentric, meaning that man's Total devotion and commitment to, should be to God. So if that's the case, then he should be the one that is continuing to shape not only what we think and feel, but our existence, who we are in this world. If the process of developing a spiritual uh, or a biblical worldview is not engaged continually. What's going to eventually happen is that the culture or the secularized culture around you will begin to shape your understanding of the world around you, but it will also begin to shape your understanding of who God is. Because many questions start with the question of whether or not God is still relevant. And then if he is relevant, then is he actually real? And then if he is real, then what form is he in? Is he one God or is he many gods or or whose God is he? But ultimately, it's this process of allowing the scriptures to shape and to form our understanding that helps us to have a biblical world view. But even after you have established one, you must take heed or be careful to continue to cultivate or maintain it. Because there are so many ideas that are flooding our thoughts that cause us to begin to dilute our understanding of how God has spoken to man and how God wants to deal and work in man. So now the the first question today that's going to get us started 
is a question that we would hope to have finished last week, so which is why we had a part two, because we didn't get to this question. So the question three becomes our question one this week. Question one is, how does a biblical worldview get diluted? Think about how you have been, those of you that have, that have been cooking, those that are chefs or those that just love to cook or bake, that at some point, you, you, you have something that you realize that in order to get to the, 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 the consistency you want, you have to dilute it down. So the question that we have is how does a biblical worldview get diluted? So one, the first cause we want to speak to is that there's a predominance of worldly wisdom predominance of a worldly wisdom. But we just read in the scriptures that that world wisdom, the wisdom of man, is foolishness with God. But there's all these philosophies and all kinds of isms that are there, and we're going to touch on those in the weeks to come, that all kinds of humanism, secularism, all of these isms that are competing in our conscious and also in our subconscious. So we have to understand that the first thing is that there's a predominance of these ideas that are coming no matter what. And it used to be, I said this before, it used to be you had to be in one place at one time with a, with a certain group of people to hear certain things. But all you need now is a, is, is a device that has Wi-Fi. And you have exposure to things that, that, that 30 or 40 years ago you didn't even know existed. This is important because as we start to look at those things, most of us go through life not realizing how our personal worldview has been deeply affected by the sources around us. Through media and other influences and these secularized ideas about values and morals, about who God is, about sin and what is actually sin and what is the actual state of man. Because humanism declares that man is good without God. But God declares that man can't be good without him. God says that our goodness, our own righteousness is as filthy rags. So why, that's why we need Christ because he is the epitome of righteousness. So when God looks at us through Christ, he doesn't see our fallen nature. He sees the righteousness of Christ. But the humanist might say, I can approach God because I'm good enough to get to him. But God says, I'm so holy that Moses, you can't even look at me. He says, Moses... You want to see my face, but if, I, if you see my face, you have to die. He said, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you return and go get in this cliff now because when my holiness comes walking through, everything shakes. He said, get in the cliff now, and when I walk through, I'm going to cover your face. And when I get past you, you can just see my back, but that's going to be enough. Because as Moses came down off the mountain, he was growing so much, the people said, cover your face, Moses, because the glory of God is too strong for us to look upon. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me God is so holy that just his backside is enough? And we think we can face him? He said, you can only come to me through my son. 
So we understand now why the Apostle Paul gives the warning that he gives. So we, we see one in our text today. He, get, he warns us against philosophies and the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of men. We see that in the text today. But, but a couple of weeks ago, we also saw in Colossians chapter number 2, verse number 8. Here's what Paul says. He says, be careful. Don't let anyone cheat you. Now, we don't like, I don't like to be cheated. I'm competitive, and I like winning, so I don't want to be cheated. Now, if I lose, I lose, but don't cheat me now. But Paul says, he says, don't let someone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men. But he goes on to say, according to the basic principles of the world, but not according to Christ. See, before we come to Jesus, it was our show. I did it the way I wanted to do it, as long as I wanted to do it. It's your thing. Do what you want to do. It, char- it, it number one charted for weeks. And everybody walking around wives and walking around wagging their finger, it's my thing. I'm going to do it like I want to do. So understand that, that this idea of how we should perceive ourselves in light of God can be diluted in ways that we don't even recognize. Because the song has a great jingle, but it is not my thing when I come to Jesus. It's his thing. Because Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ is living in me. And the life I'm now living, I don't just live on my own terms. It ain't my thing anymore. So we understand that the first thing that can dilute our thinking is that there's so much, just so many different philosophies and ideas that can bombard us. The next cause of, of how it becomes diluted is, is there's deception that is rampant. Rampant deception. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13. Because in this context, when, you start, when he starts out this segment of his letter... He says, in the last days. So he understands the context. He says, and I shared with you some time ago that I I believe we're living in the last of the last days. When the Bible talks about the last days, that we're in the last of those days. So Paul says, in the last days, then he goes down and he gets to this point. He says, but in those days, in these days, that evil men and imposters. Now, I want to be clear. Not everyone who is creating these deceptive ideas, realize that they are doing so. They're believing this in search of truth. But he says, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. There's a proliferation or a growth or advancing of being, he says, going on. They're deceiving and they are being deceived. Now, Paul is saying this in light of something that God reveals through, through John in the Revelation. 
Because in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, here's what it says. It says, Satan, who is the deceiver of the whole world. Deception is the greatest mechanism. Of Satan, we, he's got he got us singing about uh, getting our car back and getting our house and getting our stuff and going back in and, and I'm going into the devil's camp and getting my stuff. He's not after stuff. He's after faith. Because if he gets your faith, he got all the rest of you. What you believe in, you do. What you believe in motivates how you do it. What you believe even informs how you feel. You ever had that person that you thought they were? Every time you look up, they're sick. They like just, oh, I just don't know you. How you doing? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just low. What does low mean? Just low. I mean, there's just something wrong. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm potly. There's another one that I hear that potly. You said, boy, that, boy, every time you talk to her, she got something going on. She, she's the healthiest sick person I know. <laughs> you know, all out there shopping. She's been at Walmart all day, and now she's potly. <laughs> so understanding that as we understand this sense of what we believe even informs how we feel, it's important to guard what we believe which then speaks to the necessity of a biblical worldview. The second question for today is, why do some Christians not have a biblical worldview? That's, that's a question we have to ask because if, if the statistics that, that the Barner Group came up with uh, revealed only about 9% of Americans who profess to be Christians uh, had a biblical worldview according to the questions, uh, and you have to go back and look a couple of weeks ago, we actually listed the questions that were in that survey. And when you look at the questions, the questions are based solely on Scripture. And yet not everyone responded, not very many responded in the affirmative. So why is that the case? Now, I want to say this. Uh, there, there are many possibilities of why someone doesn't have a biblical worldview. And I have compiled a short list of about five. And so the way I'm going to approach this, I'm going to, I'm going to share with you what I think the reason is. I'm going to share some pa- a passage of scripture that speaks to that. And then I'm going to share a response that should be had to this, this there's, there, in each one of these, I'm going to also communicate a key principle to understand in each one of these reasons that I'm given. Is that okay? Smile if it is. Y'all like, I guess, Pastor, if, you, if you're going to share them, I guess we have to listen. We're all here, aren't we? we we're sitting here. You got the mic and we're facing you. So let's get into it real quick. And I, it won't be long. There's only five of them. And I only need 10 minutes each, so then... I'm just kidding. First one, first one. Reason number one, they lack knowledge of what the Bible actually says. They like, like, they lack the knowledge. Now, the key principle here is that if someone does not know what the Bible says, it will be difficult for him or her to form a biblical view on a particular subject. If I don't know, I can't form the subject. 
I, can, I can't have the biblical opinion about it because I don't know what the Bible says on it. So that's the first key. And here's the thing. In Psalm 119, verse 73 and 74, if, if you are wrestling with the word of God, read Psalm 119. The whole, it's, it's a lot of verses. It's 170, over 170 something verses. But I promise you, throughout that entire time, he's going to continue to reiterate the beauty and the blessing of God's word. But in the verse 73 and 74, here's what he says. He says, your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Verse 74, those who fear you will be glad when they see me because I have hoped in your word. He said, listen, those who know that I love your word and I'm in your word, they're going to be glad when they see me. Why? Because they know my hope is in your word. So the, reason, or the, re, the reaction here or response to this reason would be for the uninformed, the key is going to be Christian education. You have to educate yourself in the word. Next one. Reason number two. The second reason many Christians do not have a biblical worldview is that they reject what the Bible says on certain subjects. They just say, I don't believe that. I know the Bible says it, but I don't believe it. Here's the key principle. If a professed Christian does not believe what the Bible says, it would be impossible for him or her to have an authentic biblical worldview because it will be subjective. It goes back and says, I already have my worldview, and because the scriptures don't fit into my worldview, then I have to reject that part of the scripture. But that becomes tricky because here's how Psalm 119 Verse 66 and 67, and I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation. It says, I believe in your commands. Now teach me good judgment, because that's what it comes down to. You look at it, you got emotions and feelings about it, and you feel a certain way, and then the Word of God doesn't agree with what you said, and you feel a certain way. He says, but teach me, Lord. Teach me good judgment. Teach me how to judge correctly in that moment. Give me good judgment and knowledge. Verse 67, I used to wander off and follow these other ideas until you corrected me. I said, boy, who child are you? That's what my mom would say. You know, I'm in church one time. I'm sitting there, and, and it, was, it was interesting, Brother Gerald, because I'm sitting there, and, and she's up in the choir stand, and we back there cutting it up. And this was, this was years ago, so we, you, it was, we were at a visiting church is what you say. You, churches would have these joint services, this afternoon service. We're there, and I'm in there, we're back there cutting it up. And so um, the usher had already come and talked to us. As soon as she walked away, we went on back to it. My mom was sitting there, and she had this way with me because she didn't say a word. She didn't stand up and get the mic. She just looked at me. And I knew everything she meant. I mean, y'all, stop talking to me. You get away from me. I'm moving. I got all of that out of 
Because what she was saying was, boy, whose child are you? Because you know that I've taught you not to do that in the house of God. What God, what the scripture said, that the father, I used to kind of wander off and have these, all these ideas. But when you corrected me, look what it says, until you disciplined me, but now I closely follow your word. Lord, what would you have me to do? Now, the response here, I've got a story before I give you this response, because the response here is that if you're just rebellious against the word, the key is going to just be repent. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I know this. I had some ideas. You showed me in your word. I didn't want to accept it. But I want to give you a story. And the story is around trusting God for your direction. While driving, a husband and a wife were driving in an unfamiliar area, and they were using the GPS. They felt confident as they were going along because they'd gotten on, on, a, on a highway and it seemed like this was the right path they were on. But then they began to think that the GPS was wrong because it was telling them to exit off. Now, initially, the husband paused for a moment, but he says, I'm going to just trust it. So he gets off and he gets on the road. They were on a four-lane highway, but they get off on a side road, and that road is only one lane going in each direction. They're wondering, is this the right path that the GPS is leading us on? As they got up the road away, they discovered that there was an accident and traffic was backed up. And it was not moving, and there was no way for the people that were stuck in traffic to get off because they were forced to sit there and wait. Then the husband declared, he says, the GPS knew something that was happening ahead of me just like God. And I just needed to trust what he was telling me to do in the same way that God is trying to tell you, you've got to trust what I'm telling you, even if you don't see all the way down the road, know that I know the future while I also know the present. So the husband and the wife agreed. Just like God, the GPS knew what was ahead. See, God knows how things are going to continue to change and that he stays the same. And how important that would be. Reason number three, and I'm almost done. They are more concerned why many Christians don't have a biblical worldview because they're more concerned with what the world thinks of them than what God thinks. I know this is like a tight suit. I know, man, I'm hot in this. I'm hot myself. But think about this. It comes down to the fact that what are people going to think? Are they going to think I'm a good person if I think that? Look at, this, look at the key principle here. When a believer starts making compromises with the world's ways of thinking, he or she loses focus, focus on God's perspective. Because here's how Jesus described this. Jesus described something that we used to say a lot. We don't say it as much anymore. We talk, used to talk about as a believer that I'm in the world, but not. Y'all know it. Somebody taught you that. <laughs> in the world, but not of the world. The in the world means that we're all human beings on the planet. We're in the world. 
But, of the, but not being of the world means that I'm a born-again believer that's been called out of darkness into light. And here's what Jesus had to say in John chapter 15, verses 19. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world just as I'm not of this world. Have you ever wondered why Jesus says, marvel not that I say unto you must be born again? Because where you're born speaks of your origin. Where you're born speaks of your homeland. He says, you must be born again because that was born of the flesh is of the earth. But that was born of the spirit is of the spirit because that comes from heaven. So you have citizenship in heaven because you have been born again. You were born in the nation or on the, on the, on the, on the, uh, the continent or, or in the state or city you were born in. However, God says that is your flesh. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Then he says, marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. Here, that's why Jesus can say to us, they're not of this world, even though they're in this world. He says this in, in, in chapter 15, verse 19, real quickly. If you were of the world, key, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. That's hard to hear, isn't it? Because, you know, we want to be liked, man. I, I do. I like, I like being liked. I like when I come in the room, I want people to be smiling. But Jesus says that if you were of the world, it would love you. But if you're not, it's not. He's really speaking to how we exist in the world, but still exhibit the Christ character that we receive when we're born again. So the response here would be, for those who are fearful, pray for courage. Just pray for courage. God, give me the courage to be bold for you, to stand bold. And it's not easy because there are moments and times where you feel intimidated and there are those who are going to pound the table and, and, and convince you that you don't really care and you don't, you're not loving. But at the end of the day, a biblical worldview is not going to be in, it's not going to be consistent or it's not going to be in line with the world understanding. Reason number four, and I'm almost done. The, the fourth reason that many don't have a biblical worldview is because they're just lukewarm. They're lukewarm in their commitment to Christ. The key principle here is that, and this is, this is important, I want you to hear this because the key principle here is that a reluctance or unwillingness to take a stand for Christ, it fails to see the significance of the blessing of actually representing him in the earth. See, here's what Paul, the apostle Paul calls us ambassadors. He calls us special representatives of heaven. Do you know the ambassador from the United States to the, to the nations are, is a well-respected person who walks with dignity as he represents his nation. He says that in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 20, Paul says, you and we, you, me, we that are born again are 
ambassadors of Christ. As though God were pleading through us and imploring you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He says, we're, 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 when God is working in us, we stand as ambassadors, official representatives of heaven. So a failure to understand how significant your role is to be a witness for God loses track of how important you are to what God is doing. So the response here for lukewarmness is just commit. Just say, God, I I, want to commit. I want to be more committed to you. Here's the last one. Reason number five. They are influenced by the lies of the world. So notice we read earlier that that God knows that the wisdom of the world is futile because he catches even the wise in their own craftiness. The key principle here is a powerful tool in Satan's arsenal is the idea that the Bible is a book of myths and that is full of errors and is not to be trusted. There's an all-out assault on the authority of Scripture because it is the revelation of the Scriptures as we understand what God's principles are. We understand God's principles through the word of God. The word of God helps us to understand how we are to conduct ourselves, but it also helps us to understand how we are to respond in the world. How are we to access the world and its principles? We access them through the word of God. So if you take away the authority of scripture and you create doubt in its ability to inform us today, and you begin to see it as a relic of the, of the, of the old. It's old school. It's, 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 it's the, of the olden days. Then what happens is we lose sight of what is it that God would have us to do. First John chapter 5 and verse 19. Here's what it says. And we know that we are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The different ideas and the philosophies that you see on YouTube that are interjected into movies even. There was a, past, there was a, there was a cartoon, I want to share this with you just briefly. There was a cartoon that was projected, it was about... I want to say about four or five years ago. And the, the, the cartoon was called Shizo. Shizo. Shizo was a superhero. He was a little boy. But when he became a superhero, he became a girl. So understand this now, that his best self is only realized in the opposite gender. It's a cartoon for children. So we have to understand that when we start looking at the sway of the world and how things are swaying, John says that the sway of the world is under the influence of the wicked one, referring to, to Satan. So here's the thing that I would like to conclude with. Satan wishes to convince people that the Bible is no longer relevant 
because then its laws and its principles will become obsolete. If you begin to doubt whether the scriptures are valid or relevant, if you begin to doubt whether the scriptures are trustworthy, if you begin to say, well, the Bible doesn't answer this question or that question. I have a passage that I want you to to put in your repertoire. I don't have it listed here, but I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. Because one of the reasons that many are beginning to doubt the scriptures is because they say that the Bible doesn't speak to everything and the Bible doesn't answer every question that, we, that is posed to it. And I asked a question and I searched scriptures. I couldn't find the answer. Deuteronomy chapter 29 and 29. You, everyone have that? Here's what it says. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which he has revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words that he, of the law, that what he's revealed to us, that we know what to do with what he's given us. The reality is that if you understand everything about God, that he ceased to be God to you. You would just say, hey, okay. What's up, JC? I can offer you some advice because the reality of God being knowable but unsearchable makes him God. It sets him apart from all of his creation because he transcends creation. He's not in creation. He is the creator of creation. So creation cannot define the creator. Wait a minute. Let me say it again. We cannot define God because we are the created. The creator is the one who has all knowledge. We have limited knowledge, and therefore, because we are created, we cannot define and or confound the creator. Because here's how he spoke to Job. He says, where were you? I know you know a few things, Job, but he said, but where were you when I flung the stars? Where were you when I told the sea you can only come this far? Have you been to the ocean? Those waves come running in like they're going to overtake the land. And then they get to a point, it seems like God says, stop right there. And then they come running again. And they stop, they go right back. Because God said, I was the one that set the limit for the sea. So ultimately, we understand that God has revealed himself through his word. So as we're in this time of thanksgiving, it's, in key, it's important for us to be discerning. So the key, the response here to, to that would be to discern. God, help me to discern in the moments of all that's going on. Now, in a few days, it's going to be Thanksgiving. And we're all going to be glad to get together. I know some are traveling, some are watching us that have already traveled with family. This family that's traveling in. And we're all going to give thanks. But I would like to leave you with something I would want you to be thankful for on Thursday. 
In that same 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, we just read in verse 20, here's what it says. Because I would want you to be thankful for the truth. Because in verse 20, he says, it says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. And this is the true God, and this is where eternal life lies. So the mother sits down with her daughter. And the daughter is saying, it just feels like nothing seems to be working out. The mother begins to inquire further and ask the daughter, well, why would you say that, honey? What's going on? The daughter reveals that some things that she thought would happen would have not happened the way they should. And she just feels like things are just not coming together. So the mother says, well, tell me why you feel that way. She expressed that, that, that I just feel like this, this, and this. And the mother said, well, the key is what you're looking at, you're focused on the wrong thing. You're focused on the thing that has caused you to feel like you don't have a reason to be thankful. Because if you will consider these other things, you will find out that the things that you're focused on are all subjective to the things you have to be thankful for. The songwriter wrote it this way, said, I've had some good days and I've had some hills to climb. I've had some ups and downs But here's how he hangs his head. He said, but when I look around and I think things over, all of my good days, they outweigh my bad days, so I won't complain. And then he said, but God has been good to me. He has been good to me. More than this whole world could ever be, he has been good to me. If I think about how God has blessed me and understand all that he's done for me, then I won't complain about the things that didn't work out with me. Because it says, so I won't complain. You can find many reasons to not be thankful in four days. But I want you to be thankful that God has given you the truth and that that truth sets you free and that you're not walking in darkness but in light because you know whose you are and from whom you are. So the daughter, after she finished up, she said, message for today. Huh. And we want to thank you for listening I to guess the Family Bible Church. If you would like to contact us or attend our 630 Wednesday night Bible study, visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.